It's Friday, September 17th, and you're listening to the Tech Breakfast Podcast, the show that brings you delicious tech news and all the hot takes you can handle with Tyler Gates, Russ Cantwell, and Aaron Bewley. It's episode 209, and I'm your lone host here today with Paul Brarin, proprietor of Tinkertry.com, an EV enthusiast, and all-round good guy. Paul, how are you doing this morning, man? I am great, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me back. It's great to be here. Yeah, man, it's great to have you back on the show. Um, I, I love that you are just a font of knowledge on all the things that we get into, and there's a ton of stuff to talk about today. And something that you, Paul, are particularly good at, I saw a really cool YouTube snippet and a quick write-up. You recently got to go and do a track day in your fancy Tesla with a special guest, yeah? Can you tell us about it? Oh, sure. And actually, I was going to segue. You talked about you know law and enforcement. I remember getting pulled over going 69 in a 65-mile zone once. It's like 25 <laughs> years ago. And just, just, <laughs> just how that felt. But anyhow, it, it felt a little weird. Maybe it's the end of the month. That's, I don't know. Photo. I, I have to share a story since we're talking about that. I have a, a friend. Um, his name is Ralph. And Ralph is my friend that is the friend in the group where when something happens to him, it's more funny because it happened to him, this sort of thing. And uh, when we were in high school, he, <laughs> he he was known for being a fairly bad driver, not a great decision maker, Ralph. And he got pulled over for doing 35 over while passing in a non-passing lane in a school zone. Oh. Yeah, it was... Next level. Um, he got just a ticket, should have gone to jail. And then when he when he went to uh, the courthouse to, I guess, pay his ticket or whatever, the judge actually just dismissed it because he was a basketball fan and Ralph played basketball. It was the most ridiculous uh, thing that could have possibly wow. happened in that scenario. Yeah. So uh, good times for, for Ralph avoiding what should have been jail time. Uh, going 35 over <laughs> while passing in a non-passing lane in a school zone. It was just like the wow. most absurd circumstance of, you know, three different events happening at the same time for him. So anyways, <laughs> that's my, that's my best speeding story that I can tell you. And I, it wasn't even me. Uh, that's I awesome. A similar, I had a similar story getting pulled over once and he let me off cause he knew my dad for years and said nice things. <laughs> I felt really guilty sitting there with my friend, like uh, what just happened? So everybody's uh, yeah. mad when cops have discretion and they get mad at you for being a, a dope and giving you a ticket yeah. because you were doing something <laughs> like speeding and being a dope. All right. So, so yeah, good segue into the next topic. And that is uh, where on earth could I possibly uh, safely exceed hundred miles an hour legally and safe and all that <laughs> and do it with my dad and raise money for charity. So that's what the article is about. It's like, why the heck would I be publicly blogging about that? Well, no, it's not something I do on private roads. Uh, very few tickets in my adult life and very low, you know, insurance is happy with me and all that. So this is a little different and this is, um, kind of a fun thing to do with dad or mom or anybody where, uh, on a, le on a normal road, given you can get to a hundred in like under 10 seconds, you're not going to do that. And, you know, even 10 seconds is plenty of road to cover. You're not going to do that anywhere publicly, even a not on ramp or whatever. Right. So the point here is, and the article starts with the premise they could have just made an electric uh, Accord or Camry, <laughs> but it wouldn't have sold the way the Model 3 has. A million plus have been made, and there's good reasons. Safety is first. Uh, crush resistance to the roof, uh, the airbags, all of it, uh, traffic, uh, accident avoidance first place. The thing is, 
really good in all those areas. And I've got a, a tweet that shows a Model Y versus a Toyota RAV4 and how ridiculously tippy and skiddy that vehicle is trying to avoid a moose in a test in Europe. It's just all EVs in general. Let's take the word Tesla out of it for a second. If you have an EV with a decent amount of power, um, yeah, the thrill is just incredible probably compared to anything else you do in your life, especially a guy like me coming from about 30 years of Honda Civic. So um, that's it. It's really just a joyful article saying, holy crap, I had fun with my dad this past weekend. Here's what it was like. And here's all the telemetry and uh, nerd stats I got. So I did overlays of the speedometer, the G-forces my dad and I were feeling, accelerating, braking. Uh, the, how warm the battery got, which is not very 10 degrees Fahrenheit, less than when you supercharge. So no big deal in the car. That's impressive. I yeah. love that. And, and that's, that's a function of all the air cooling, I'm sure. And the fact that they're liquid cooled batteries, that, but that, that heat exchanger is doing a good job. How hot was it outside? Just curiosity coming from the engineering side of my brain. Yeah, it was about 80 Fahrenheit. This is not a model S performance. This is a model three <laughs> middle of the road, long range, it's 18 inch tires, which are handy for, potholes in new england if you go with bigger tires you end up with <laughs> so, so like yeah that. yeah so i'm absolutely and it's also the more efficient tire by the way so they're speed rated for 186 so if someone's listening to this and thinks it's a good idea to go out on the track with their 15 year old vehicle with speed rated tires of uh, 114 or something <laughs> no not at all it's right? not my, my whole career is about risk reduction i did my homework i checked my psi on my tires and these are very brief spurts you're going 100 for all of a second, half a second, and you'll see that video, sure. man. But it's fun, you know. And, and the video's got two GoPros. This tested all my nerd stuff. I got two cameras aiming one another. Had to splice it together. This was the hardest video I've ever produced. Short of really? how to how to install vSphere. That took that was just because of all the sources. Correct, and it's 4K, 60 frames a second. Just because Check I had to make you it smooth. Out. So nice. if you watch if you watch this at home, put it on a big screen. And make sure the TV's app is firing up YouTube to get it in full 4K glory. If you watch it through something like a cable box or a TiVo, you're going to get it at 1080p. No, it makes a difference because yep. you can actually see the speedometer. You can see everything. Going I, on. 4K I watched glory. it on my theater projector, and I could I could see the tear of joy coming out of your dad's left eye. So can <laughs> confirm. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun to not only share this with my family, but with to see my dad's broad smile even a day later and have my mom comment on, Wow, you guys must have had fun. That that's just what it's all about. Yeah. So. Yeah, track days are great, man. We used to go to them all the time when I was younger. Um, a friend of mine, his dad is very wealthy. Um, he actually, um, he basically invented what was it at the time? Uh, Shockwave, and, and then sold it to Macromedia years ago. So oh. basically, if you watched a video on the internet in the '90s, it was because oh, of him. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Shockwave. I remember. Shockwave, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, so he he had he was very wealthy and they're extremely into cars. For for my friend's twenty first birthday, we went to a racing school for two weeks, and he paid for like ten eleven of us to do it. And so we all went and did that. And then on it was like the final day or maybe the day after the final day, we we ended up going to Texas Motor Speedway to to drive various cars, which he has an unbelievable amount of them, like ranging from you know, Maseratis to Enzo Ferraris types of things. And, um, and then they had, uh, he, he actually has a, a, an F1 car. He's a amateur formula one racer, which to be an amateur formula one racer, you basically just need a lot of money to pay one of the pit crews and, and car companies to maintain a car and send a pit crew for you when you want to go to a track. Um, and we went <laughs> and raced cars or we didn't, we didn't race them. We just, you know, went around the track, various cars. And, um, we also did a, uh, what was it like an autocross track as well? 
and that was just a ton of fun. And so we've we've done reunions as like the quote unquote car guys group for years. We actually haven't met up in a couple of years, maybe thanks to COVID, probably. Uh, but we would do like karting, like the outdoor sixty to seventy mile an hour karting. And uh, one time we ended up setting the the track. I don't know if it's a record, but we definitely set the time that you had to do with the standard carts that go 60 to 70 miles an hour in order to qualify to use the like 125 mile an hour carts. And uh, only two of our friends were willing to do that because that is unbelievably terrifying. It's so fast. Wow. Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. So yeah, I've uh, never done an EV around one of those tracks, but I've definitely been about a buck 40 in, uh, in a couple different vehicles yep. going around so it. And then leave, we Don't leave Aaron and I out of the next back day. Cause that sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah I'll bring you guys the, we did someone, I don't know. There was a professional driver there. I don't know of what capacity, but he took us in basically a stock car that could go like 180 around the track. That was terrifying. <laughs> so you basically just sat in the, in the passenger seat and prayed. Um, and then the guy took you around for, I guess it was like one lap to get up to speed and then one lap at full speed. And it was absolutely nuts. One other thing I'll mention is this is a ba barely a banked curve, but your tires are not making any screech noise. There's not a lot of lateral G-force, and you can see that in the G-meter. So I was able to safely assure, like with some science, that I didn't go ruining our car with a measly five laps of brief spurts <laughs> past right? It was hard, hardly a big deal, because this is my deal. for science. Yeah. And it's got 40,000 miles on it. Now, one other thing is just Motor Trend wrote an article, which is pretty good. It talks about the low cowl and the excellent uh, visibility and a very tiny hood on this car. It really does give you more of a feeling of speed being lower. And I was thinking, I think of Aaron's videos and his, you know, go-kart. When you're low to the ground, it's just more thrilling. Now, I, oh, I absolutely. Little, uh, yep. And, and I do have a little secret here. And that is, I'm a person who's not just been on roller coasters where you have momentary Gs. I've been on a glider. and done I saw that in your blog. That's three That's Gs. so cool. Yeah. So awesome. Wait a minute. You mean like the thing that you like hang from? No, no. Glider? Not a plane. So not a hang glider. But holy okay. smokes, su sustaining three Gs for 20, 30 seconds. Oh, my God. So does it ruin you for life? I thought, eh, maybe this drive won't be that thrilling. Absolutely not. Uh, any, it, it's still fine. But, man, I, I'll say those spindly little wings that look like they're going to snap off on a glider when you see it soaring gracefully doing arching loops. They're pulling two or three Gs. It's incredible. It makes my stomach so, turn a little bit. Okay. So I'm not one of those people. I just find it. I love playing. So, so I am. Yeah, I like being safe in my day-to-day -day life. That's still who I am. This was a little exception, a closed circuit where I paid extra $100 that goes all to the Speedway Charity Foundation to have the track to myself with a pace car way ahead of me. In other words, there's That's nothing awesome. to hit. There's yeah. really nothing. You'd have to screw up spectacularly bad to hit a wall. This track is wide. So... I just want to make sure I do my best. I stay safe, you know, no big deal. <laughs> All right. But advocacy for EVs in general, that's my point. This this little tweet here where they show a car being very tippy, like a RAV4. Oh, my God. I mean, remember Suzuki got recall, I know, 20, 30 years ago, they got bashed pretty good for their cars flipping right over. Any brand with the battery pack low, including Ford F-150s, you're going to be freaking delighted. Now, you might miss sound noise. I know <laughs> some people do. My video captures the noise, too. It's different than a gas car. But that's the point. It's, if someone's EV curious of any brand, Cool. I'm just trying to put a little video out that maybe a few people actually watch and, and think about, yeah, maybe I should test drive. Not to go next yeah. to the public roads. That's not my message, right? There was a no, video on cool. Top Gear years ago when they were driving a uh, electric supercar. And they've done a couple of them over the years. But this one, like, like we've all probably seen before, <clears throat> was doing the basically uh, 
synthetic, you know, electric sounds. They're, or they were making the motor sounds just <laughs> through like like speakers or through. It. I don't know how yeah, they, they did it. They yeah. do that. They do. They they'll port back sounds into the speaker system. You know, but, my my Ford uh, ST Focus ST actually does that because the cabin really? was insulated well enough that the engine noise inside was considered not sufficient. So they they actually have an electronic engine noise, you know, circuit, and you can you can kill it. You know, they they sell deletes, uh, but you can just pop it out. But I, I thought that was ridiculous when when I got it. So two things: Model Three Plaid, 1.99 seconds, zero to sixty. You know, amazing. Um, people, people with their faces plastered. Then you have cold gas thrusters shooting out the back of a roadster two or three years from now. Maybe we'll see. But anyhow, those videos are just kind of hilarious. But back down to earth, trying to drive a car smoothly and have your passengers happy. Um, you know what? I don't miss a gearbox at all. Even my 2006 Honda Civic Hybrid had a CVT transmission. Basically, it was a go kart with a rubber band uh, powered transmission. Right? You could laugh at it, fine, but it was pretty smooth. It didn't, you know, have a jarring, everyone's head shaking in the car. You know how the drivers still when they're shifting and I've driven stick shifts, but man, not having an automatic transition, I don't miss it at all. Here's the other thing. Regen <laughs> braking. Regen braking is interesting because it comes from that, you know, three miles an hour bleeding it off to zero smoothly. In other words, you get near That's a stop great. sign or whatever, just let go of the pedal, let the car stop. And your wife yep. has not jerky jerking forward at thought. You don't have to think about it. Those little things, they really matter. And you'll see Maki reviews and others where they go over the distinctions between each brand, how they all handle that stuff a little differently. That's cool. Those are, yeah. What so, do you yeah, know about the um, the Lucid Air's 520 mile EPA rated announcement? What do you, what uh, yeah. do you do? You know much about that vehicle yeah, no, or their vehicles? I got to see one in person way back. No, then. kidding. They had, they had them outdoors at a big solar powered uh, train station in Connecticut, Westport, Connecticut. Our EV club of Connecticut that I'm active in, where I produce content, took a little bit of video of that car, along with uh, we saw Rivian in a private showing a few months ago. Uh -huh. well. so that was my next question. Correct. <laughs> we got to see the R1T pickup, and I uh, saw that in person. Got a little video clip for you, Tyler. But anyhow, get to see. Did that it person. have the camper pull out in the in the little void behind the seats? It did the one that you it saw. Show, oh. That showed up two months later on Twitter. Yeah, they, I don't think they had it ready then. Um, What's really cool about seeing all this and driving to Manhattan, being only two hours from New York to be able to see the Cybertruck, I had a good year just seeing stuff right? safely. Uh, <laughs> I could tell. Um, and also, um, well, yes, Tesla drivers in Connecticut too. So that's what's cool about the EV Club of Connecticut. Any brand, you know, we try not to patch anyone too bad, although it's been hard with Toyota, who's actively trying to slow the progress of electric cars and go with fuel cells and, and just slow it down. It's, it's terrible. What's uh, well, even hydrogen. It's more about that. Hydrogen, Because yeah. I, I, I oh, saw you God. make mention of that, and I've seen it made mention before. Tell us tell us what it is that Toyota's doing. Get us, get us all fiery. Oh, God. So Ars Technica, a little different. That's a nerdy article, right, rather than just Wall Street or New York Times. I figured I'd quote Ars Technica, Ars Technica on this, and here's what they're saying. Toyota, Toyota bet wrong in EVs, so now it's lobbying to slow the transition. That's the perfect headline. That was written late July. They may come out with an electric car in a year or two, begrudgingly, and, and Subaru right with them. They're kind of partnership there. But there's only going to be 10, 20,000 a year. Lightning, that thing is 140,000 pre-hours, the F-150 truck. But it's I think it's between 20 to 50,000 the first year, and it may be 80,000 next. That's going to take a while, right, with a million yeah, a year. That's only very small electrification. So that kind of goes back to, I think you guys are talking about a Monday is the grid ready. I have a story for you there, too. But you specifically asked me about what did I think of Lucid. So how's that? I should answer that question. <laughs> so the Lucid Air, I will say this. People standing around and people, other people in EV Club of Connecticut who uh, model S's and some high-end cars in their history, 
Um, they were not blown away by the looks. I'll say, mm-hmm. like the rear, the rear was not the strongest. The front, the front looks a little Buick-like or kind of, kind of. Um, but th- to some people, that's what they want. When I do open house days with my car, sometimes people have a Mercedes or Volvo, and they're used to a really elegant interior with all kinds of bells, knobs, and features, and lights everywhere. Tesla's anti that. All your money's going to the battery pack and the two motors, the drivetrain. And I'm cool with yeah. it. Less to break for me and uh, my wife, basically just trying to replace a Honda Civic for reliability. So everyone's different. And I get it. I think Lisa will very much appeal to them because that range is tremendous. And if you have an amazing uh, bladder and you like to go seven, six hours straight driving, cool. My car goes four and a half hours straight. That's about all I could do anyway. I can get from Connecticut to Delaware in one shot. That is absolutely fine. <laughs> um, I don't know how many people really need four or 500 unless they road trip a whole lot. And I'm a guy who drove 25,000 miles, most of it for business in 2019. So I drive That's a fair. lot, but it's pretty rare. I need to go five hours in one shot without even. You don't live in Texas. Well, I know, yeah, here's, here's my struggle. And we've talked about it before. We have if my good. trip, if my trip to Lubbock takes me six hours instead of five, that is a dramatic increase in yeah, percentage of time, both directions. Like that, that's, that's part of my issue is when I go, whenever I drive to Lubbock, I, I stop at the halfway point for no less or no more than eight minutes. That's, that's my time. I'm timing myself. Eight minutes. <clears throat> I stop at the same place, get the gas going, run and use the restroom, run back out. And if I can do it in seven, I'm winning. And then I'm on my way going, going again for the next two and a half hours. So that's, that's, that's part of the issue is if I have to stop and the charging takes, I, candidly, I actually don't know how long charging takes. Um, 30 well, minutes? Paul can tell you. Yeah, the F-150 and Cybertruck are going to be quite different. We'll get into that. But let me ask you, do you start your stopwatch when you get off the exit ramp and then restart it when you're back on the highway for timing your uh, I, I I get it ready when I'm pulling into the gas station in Seymour, Texas. Great American town. But to time your t- how much how long are you off the highway? Eight minutes total from when you leave the highway to get back on? Ideal well, ideally seven, but yeah, eight's the total. Okay. So you are highway, not just from when you stop the car and then starting stuff. I just checked because yeah, well, and, and so you have to understand the way I'm going, it's not a highway. Uh, well, I guess that's not true. It's it's not a highway maybe in the traditional sense. Speed limit is like seventy five miles an hour on it, but it's I'm taking a two lane road all the way to Lubbock. Like there's you know, well, for four of four of the hours or three and a half of the hours. It's just a two-lane road out in the middle of Texas. Okay, and then you. this is a great conversation. You and I talked about it a little bit. Uh, Electrify America versus superchargers. What's going on in Lubbock? I think he's tweeted or said something about it on air recently. Nothing, build- nothing ever. Well, no, no. Um, first of all, <laughs> Lubbock is the greatest place in this country. Let's just, let's just go ahead and get that out there. But uh, I, when I went, to the t- I went to the Tesla store, um, I took my now eight-week-old son, who is eating in my arms right now, uh, oh. I took him to the Tesla store and we were looking. I was just ta- I was just curious to talk to one of the people at the store. Um, they were very kind, very knowledgeable. Um, and they they showed me a maybe you could call it an electrification map. And the map had two different symbols on it, one of which were like clearly it indicated where something already was. And the other one was like a dot where something would eventually be. And they are putting a supercharger thing somewhere in Lubbock. I don't know if it's one or multiple, but there's one going in Lubbock. And uh, so that, that's, I noticed that one. And I think I said it on the show the next week because it, it showed that as a place that uh, is getting one soon. Actually, he said those were, the target was for those to be done by the end of the year. So that anywhere there was a dot, he said by end of year, the target was for those to be done. And there was a lot of them. I mean, I bet there was 
there was easily 50, if not 100 dots where they were, they were going to have them by the end of the year. That was the goal. Okay. All right. Well, charging. Um, the speeds the batteries can take it. If the Cybertruck comes out with this new cell, um, 4680 cell in bigger dimensions, basically it can charge a whole lot quicker. It can stay at a high charge rate longer. So it's not just like a Porsche Taycan can do 250, uh, sorry, 350 kilowatts versus a Tesla 150 or 250, depending upon what version of supercharger you're at. It's not just that. Those peaks are only hit for a minute or two. Then your battery starts getting a little toasty and it brings it right down like to half within three, four minutes. So um, let me look at my, I've gone to 50, 50 different locations. I've done regular charging, like overnight at a hotel or something where it's basically trickle charging and in eight hours, it's full and ready for you in the morning. I've done that 50 times, 50 locations. I've done supercharging, the fast ones. That's called the DC fast charging, which is bypassing the charging apparatus in your car and going straight to the battery. That I've done 102 of those at 61 locations all over the Northeast into Canada. And I'd say only two of them were problematic where I had to move over to the next stall. In other words, Tesla nailed the infrastructure. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, Electrify, that's impressive. Electrify America, not looking good. Uh, Marquez, <laughs> Brownlee's, Marquez Brownlee's video was fantastic. I knew he was setting out to go to Ithaca, where I used to live, and Buffalo, and then up to um, uh, Lake Placid. Oh, man, was his trip rough. Getting off a highway and having four, three out of four Electrify America stalls not work, just completely unacceptable. I think I got that right with Electrify America. He had problems both ways. He got it a little better when he stuck with Electrify America. The other brands he was batching even worse. Uh, their odds of success when getting off an exit were not good at all. That trip went horribly. So, uh, I don't know, what was it? Nine hours to Lake Placid, and, uh, or sorry, eight hours to Lake Placid in a traditional uh Audi gas car and not little uh, under 40, 45 minutes later in the Tesla Model S that he was in. And then finally the Maki was a nightmare. I think it was um, 12, 13 hours. But by the time they got to Niagara Falls, he was like six, seven hours behind the others. So anyhow, asking the question differently, what car would you recommend to your mom? Like, what would I recommend to my mom? Unfortunately, at the moment, even though I've shown her a Maki and a VW ID4, uh, uh, she's seen them both in person. Unfortunately, if she were just a road trip, uh, which she does occasionally, yeah, that's a serious concern. I have no idea if she's going to get up the highway and be able to charge without fiddling with credit cards or phones. Supercharger, you literally plug the cable in and go walk and use the bathroom. You don't even necessarily turn around and wait for the green light to turn on in about four seconds, by the way. All the competitors are at least 30 seconds, a minute of noise and credit card or NFC swiping with your watch. And I've tried them. Uh, there's a Revel Supercharger hub I've tried in New York that's trying to be Tesla and everyone else. And its opening day was not so good either. Kyle... Um, Let's see, there's Tom Malogny, there's Kyle Connor. All those guys have been testing chargers for a long time, and all their videos were very similar to what Marquez Brownlee recently showed, and that is the EV infrastructure in this country is not ready for major road trips and everything with Tesla brands. But here's the thing. Tesla's announced they're opening the network to other brands, and that's a big deal. Um, before I get into that, any questions about what I said so far? And then they're home charging the whole other thing, and is the grid ready for it? So what do you want to hit next? Uh, grid or... Um, DC fast charging on the road, like in Lubbock. Maybe the latter. I like anything that says Lubbock. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you asked, the F-150 doesn't charge all that fast. I think it was 150 kilowatts max. If it can keep that up for the whole 45 minutes charge for like from like 20 to 80%, I guess that's okay. But that's not a great selling point for you to be off the highway for 40 minutes. That's nowhere near where you're at. If Especially in Texas, I imagine... I mean, how much does the outside temperature affect the ability to hold the charge or what's, the charging rate? What's Lubbock get down to in the winter? Like 45 at the lowest or 
Fahrenheit. In the winter? Well, in the winter, yeah. it, it Lubbock gets a lot colder than here, and it got minus two here recently, so say minus three. Um, no, I I joke what the, the average is there, but it, it snows in Lubbock at least once a year, so it's definitely it's probably in the 30s to low low 40s on average during the winter. Okay, so your impact there on charge time could be 10, 20%, depending upon how Ford tweaks their algorithms at all. Now, Tesla's been at it for a decade. So they've been tweaking their algorithms and charge speed quite a bit in my car in the three years I've had it in 40, 48,000 miles. So I'll, I'll say this. Yeah, you'll lose a little, but I've gone, you know, to 14 degrees Fahrenheit, parked my car at zero degrees Fahrenheit to Logan Airport and sat there as a cold brick for three days. That's the worst kind of abuse, right? You're nowhere near that. But, so it's interesting you went with temperatures that are low. Is it not affected by higher temperatures, which is what I was actually concerned about by it being 95 degrees here for six months and charging, you know, in okay. that weather? Yeah, I would assume that the battery would get hotter and thus it would have to lower its charging rate, but maybe I'm wrong. It will hear all kinds of fan noise and it might charge, it might lower it a little bit. And some people um, put wet washcloths on the charging cable because get a little warm at the juncture with the car. How goofy is that? <laughs> but, but yes, there is, that's in the extremes like Las Vegas videos where the outdoors 110 in the direct sun on the charger, the car's not even shaded. So you're right. You can get to that extreme. Not so likely where I live, but good point. Um, Tyler, you mentioned the size of radiators. So I have a feeling the Cybertruck will, will nail it more like the Model S with a higher end cooling system. So it's a non-issue. Yeah, I got to imagine. Sure. Because they can take the Plaid and do it over and over, launch over and over. It does not throttle the battery. Oh, that's They've impressive. The old yeah. one they couldn't, right? You could only do a lap or two and now you're throttled. Do, do you um, see other manufacturers having issues with that kind of technology, right? Are, are you seeing yeah. other vehicles that are throttling um, because they, they didn't nail the cooling and the heat exchange? Let's see, uh, Sandy Monroe, he rips apart cars on Monroe Live YouTube channel and takes the ID4 and it looks like a traditional engine. Takes the Mach 4, uh, the Mach E, looks like a traditional engine. It's got four or five pumps for different heating and cooling systems. Tesla makes like a super bottle that has one valve that directs heat from the battery to the cabin or the other way around, depending upon what's needed. Sometimes you want to warm the battery, all in one elegant mechanism. They, they just tackle it completely differently. Legacy companies look like a spaghetti's rat's nest under the hood. And I saw a Maki and, and was with a fire department. We pulled off the shroud to look at it together, which was a lot of fun. I was at another EV event. Um, and yeah, they make them wildly differently. Does it actually slow them down in super hot weather? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there's a lot of videos yet about Maki and ID4. These are mass-produced cars I'm talking about, right? Not the elite, you know, plaid that almost no one could afford, but we're really talking about mass market with the ID4 and Maki. Um, don't know. That's a good question. Um, but yeah, anyhow, back to the odds of you being happy in a truck that can charge in the least amount of time, I'd say the Cybertruck will win hands down, but it might come a year or two later than you want. It's because they're trying to do a completely new battery that can handle almost full charging speeds the entire time you're stopped. So we could be talking about 10, 15, so let's say 10 to 20 minutes for a Cybertruck long range versus F-150. They're already saying on their stated public website, 40, 40 minutes for a charge. So it could be half the time. The, the Cybertruck could forego the need for charging altogether and be half you, the you, cost, and I still wouldn't buy it. Yeah, so no, I know. That, that one, that one for me <laughs> might might never come to fruition. Yeah, I, I hear you, you said it very loud and clear in the previous podcast. But if you just talk about the specs, there is a difference that people shouldn't gloss over when shopping trucks. And then you've got the Rivian, uh, and they're trying to build their own network too, right? And they just uh, produced their first car, I think, a couple of days ago this year. Why is everyone trying to build their own network? Is there like, mm. is it because Tesla did that first, or <laughs> I triggered you? I knew you're gonna, yeah, yeah. I just, I just don't understand. I don't get it. Right. Like, does everyone use a different fuel of gasoline, different type of gasoline in their cars? 
Like, Why don't I- iPhones support USB-C, Russ? Hey, come on, Ooh, dude. Nice. That was good. That I'm was just good. wondering. It's total non sequitur. Definitely not the exact same problem. That was a little tip of the hat to the uh, iPhone pre-orders who finalized their order two hours ago for yet another lightning year. That's basically uh, USB, USB 2.0. So we'll yet, yet another lightning year. That was awesome. Yeah. No, no USB 3. <laughs> for me, by the way, it makes the 4K uh, camera limited value because you have to wait hours to download anything, right? Because it's basically USB 2 speeds. But anyhow, awesome. so back, back, to the, back to the cars. Um, huh. The charging standard. So a small connector that anyone, even someone pretty petite and 80 pounds, can no problem plug in. You know, I've had my my mom do it at a supercharger. It's no big deal to grab the supercharger handle, shove it in, even in the middle of the winter, the cable's not that big a deal. The competitor called CCS2 that, that Europe has settled on and some of America for all the other cars that are not Tesla, it's huge. It's like three inches at the end. And it's like wrestling a Cobra or something when you're at the pump, especially if it's in winter. Um, so confused. Um, I don't know so why. I don't think I would have even thought about the difficulty in the cable. And I've never experienced this. Could you maybe yeah, help us out with? Because I don't think about that with like a you know a gas pump. So okay, what's the what's the wrestling with the cable thing all about? Okay, so Tesla came out about ten years ago. There was no real good standard, and the industry hadn't settled on anything. So they made their own. So let's confess that. So they did it before everybody. Fine, you could ding <laughs> them on that. And it was small. It's only slightly more than the diameter of uh, a gas nozzle. So right now a gas nozzle is what? I don't know, about an inch. This is maybe an inch. Yeah, and a half. I don't know. So, so no big like deal. That. And it looks exactly the same whether you're plugging it at home, which is AC charging on 240 volts or 110 uh, and somewhere in that range, or on the road called level three charging. That's supercharging. That's DC, same connector. It's pretty petite. It's pretty small. A tiny little flap, even on the Model S that goes back six years opens up by the tail light and you shove it in. It's small. The whole, the whole flap to cover it is like three inches. Now, Europe, though, when Tesla started delivering there, they had them put CCS connector in there. Much bigger. It's like two inches wide by three and a half inches tall, so you have to orient yeah. it perfectly. Yeah, Welcome to standards not always being your friend. Correct, but they're going to they're gonna be able to open up the supercharger network maybe within as soon as right. a month or two in Europe because of that, because all the cars have it, Tesla and all the other brands. So here we are stuck with that being different than the US. It's a mess. Sure. Well, and that is a mess, but that I like I think about that probably more than makes sense for somebody that doesn't even own an EV. Like the the benefit of having a standard that is well thought out and good versus having a bunch of, you know, unique manufacturer, you know, self standards, you know, so not a standard at all, right? They're all unique. Um if if someone like Tesla, someone, if, if a company like Tesla, an OEM is going to produce a new charging system or a new charging system cable, whatever it is, and it is going to bring benefit, significant, I would hope, because marginal benefits, like what's the point? Um, then I could see, you know, why everyone would come with their own. Like it's significantly smaller and that saves, you know, 100 pounds of weight on the car. Or we discovered a new way to, you know, take advantage of an AC grid and get faster DC charging by doing it this way. And so we're going to charge 20% faster. Or maybe, you know, it's, it's Tesla and we've designed this in such a way that it is wildly more reliable. Like these, these things make sense to buck a standard. Anything else, any marginal change over it just feels like a money grab and I hate it. Well, the, so the good news, Tesla's saying their supercharger network in the US, they're going to take on the problem of providing dongles or giant adapters of some sort at the plug where 
Non-Teslas could go up, fire up the Tesla charging app. They'll have to have a credit card on file because unlike a Tesla, when you buy it, you already have Mm -hmm. a Tesla account. You have the app. They have your credit card. So you just pull up to pump and plug in. The non-Teslas will have to, you know, run an app and say what stall they're at, that kind of thing, most likely. But they'll also have to use an adapter to get from the Tesla connector over to their car's CCS port. Yeah. So, So that's a big deal because... There's way more Tesla superchargers than any other brand in the United <laughs> States. And they're a whole lot more reliable than Electrify America and even more so than EVgo and the other network. So it's good news for the United States. It's not as good a news for the Tesla owners who are fretting a little if you live in California where you're already kind of waiting online. I've never had to wait online. So I've made it, you know, 47,000 miles and a whole lot of charging that I mentioned. I've never had to wait in the Northeast. We're blessed with a ton of supercharging. They did it right. California, not as much. Those people, they're build, they're building them like crazy. They build sixty or seventy chargers at a station at a time. It's they're going wild out there. Doesn't California have more charging stations than any other state? I believe so. Yeah, and, and they still run into a issue with lines. For I mean, I recognize you run into issues with lines at a. I mean, I've waited in a line before at a regular gas station, but I I just maybe there, maybe there's just disproportionately more Teslas in in California. No. I don't I don't know. Yeah, the factory's there. They can shove them out by the end of the quarter. There's a lot they're popular and carb emissions rules and all, all sorts of factors for California to be way ahead as far as uh, ownership, which reminds me, I'm in a state where we have like one third of the normal adoption rate because we have to go out of state to get our car here. So that's a whole other issue, incentives and rebates. But on, on a positive note, you, the other thing you asked about grid readiness, and I think maybe Aaron was talking about a little too. So um, there was an EV event at our uh, local Department of Environmental Protection where there's a guy from um, Rocky Mountain Institute talking about electrification of America and is the grid ready kind of thing. That was his topic. I actually had the opportunity to drive him in his first Model 3 ride on the way back to the airport. And he got to you know bend his ear a little bit because I said, like, yeah, I had power stacks in my neighborhood. It's had some challenges for the electrician still in the alley. What do, you, what do you think if everyone goes electric? How will it go? I believe his answer was along the lines of this transition is so slow. It's not going to be that big a deal. And I'll add this when I was talking to my wife about it last night. I'm like, uh, there's two answers. One is, well, you just charge your car at night. Uh, okay, but here in Connecticut, the charge, the electricity rate's the same in the day or night. Why would people be incented to not plug in their car when they get home from work at five, have it ready you know, at 8 a.m. the next day? Why would they want to fiddle with a timer to make it wait till midnight? Well, because most of the country is much cheaper to charge after midnight. And I explained that to her. I was like, oh, oh, okay. But here's the point. When you're ready to go to work at eight in the morning, when do you, do you care when your car charges as long as it's ready and, and full? You know, most people know. So, no. they, so, and only one or 2% of the cars are electric right now. It's so tiny in the US. So remember those small numbers I mentioned for the Ford F-150 Lightning? We have many years for the utility companies to get their act together and catch Yeah, to work this problem I out. I mean, correct. And solar, you've mentioned it in the previous podcast, Tyler, uh, coal is now way more expensive. So it's all solar and wind going forward anyway. So an example would be Vermont. They've got rural customers the Eversource there, and I met some people from there, and they get power walls for Tesla for their houses. Why? That means Vermont's utility company doesn't have to build out and change much in the infrastructure. They can just give them a battery. Say so we have control over some elements of it, like during a brownout. Oh, that's cool. And, and they can use that power for the grid to supplement the neighborhoods where they're kind of weak. That part's less cool, but well, I do like it. I, I like it in general. Oh, heck right. yeah. 
the customer it, benefits by a way cheaper price in the Powerwall than be, they've ever paid. Because the of the cost of a Powerwall right now, uh, and this is something I've talked about a lot on Twitter. I don't know that I've talked about it too much on the show, but I so I just just had solar installed, something I've been working on for a while. Actually, mm-hmm. my motion predates Snowmageddon in Texas, which uh, I, I'm not even sure that panels would have been particularly useful in that because minor grid tied. Uh, I did not get a battery, which is what I was getting at. The, the Powerwalls are very expensive. In fact, battery storage in yep. general is very expensive. And yep. so... My my consumption is quite high. Uh, I'm trying to address that, but I also just have a large old house. So, um, like a Powerwall, the peak uh, storage is is uh, I think it's rated at like 14 and a half. It's real 13 and a half kilowatt hours, right? So, 13 and a half kilowatt hours is like one hour of my house's average consumption. That's or at least at peak, which is daytime when it's hot when you really care, right? Um, now I could do a sub panel. I could just target stuff like uh, my refrigerator, or my you know deep freezer, or something like that, just to just to keep things rolling, right? Um, but uh, it it is quite expensive for a single thirteen and a half kilowatt unit. And so when you look at adding battery, adding battery back up to to a system, the only real benefit you get is if your system isn't designed to basically zero out through net metering. And you could run off of your battery at night, which in my case, because of consumption, would require something like four or five Tesla Powerwalls just to get to actually probably not that bad for a single night. But if I wanted any any kind of real backup capacity, it would take that. Well, that that's almost as much again as I paid for my panels. And so yeah. there, and there's no break, break even really. Like there's there's no payback for that unless you design your system perfectly to to get you know a certain amount of net and then draw from the batteries at night and basically just charge your batteries during the day and empower your house uh, you know with solar at the same time and then again burn it down over the night. So um, having having an offer like that on the table where the power company says you know we're going to give you a power wall and at our discretion we can drain it to to prevent brownouts elsewhere in the grid. But on the off chance that you need it in the middle of the night or you need it when when it's cold outside, like it's still there, right? Like mm-hmm. I would take I would take somebody up on that for sure. So I, I'd say that's a net good. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So big picture, yeah, batteries are another challenge, right? And they're having a hard time making them in the auto industry or for your you know, house, your power wall. So those those are any anything. Uh, Shoot, it's hard to get your hands right. on a on a traditional twelve watt, you know, uh yep. lead acid battery or Acid based batteries. Is this is this COVID related or in general? Uh, in general. Uh, well, I, I don't, I think it's in general. I don't think it, it like COVID timing, perhaps, but some of the other supply chain issues are they're not really COVID supply chain issues or they weren't they weren't caused by COVID. A lot of it, I, I think, actually goes back to some of the chip shortages, too. Maybe not in like the car battery spectrum, but there, there are there are other issues that have dramatically affected. Our supply chain, it's kind of like a butterfly effect. And we unfortunately, especially in the United States, but it sounds like it's pretty worldwide, we rely on so few places to produce certain things that are in such high sure. demand that when they get minor disruptions, the entire global supply chain just kind of falls apart. And because, especially in the US, but this is true everywhere, arguably because of how well it worked for Toyota in the, was that like the 60s to 80s, basically. Um, everybody's just in time stuff. So everybody's always demanding of their suppliers to get what they need right when they need it. Um, there, there are some cost advantages to that. It, it, it's arguably just means they have less storage. There, there's all kinds of you know interesting bits and pieces about it. But the problem with the just in time manufacturing system and a 
sensitive supply chain is that as soon as it gets disrupted, it means that every unit in production at that very moment that can't get that part is worthless until that part shows back up. But you also don't slow your supply chain down in a lot of cases. This is where you'll see reports about, you know, like automobile manufacturers have hundreds of thousands of cars that are ready to go except for that one little piece. And they found a way in their production system to get around needing to install that part maybe where it's supposed to be installed in the system. But it doesn't stop the fact that they either start laying everybody off or shutting plants down or they keep producing cars and waiting for them to show up. Because the supply chain is so sensitive, it's going to take a really long time to get all 100,000 of those cars off the lot, even when they start receiving shipments. But that, that so, disruption you're talking about of, you know, JIT is, was COVID, was it not? It or, or you said something else oh. happened. No, there were there were other there were other factors, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, it, let me it, ask this question differently. If COVID ha- hadn't happened, would this problem exist? It's possible. Yeah. Huh. That, that's my understanding, and and I, I I haven't dug into it enough of my understanding, and I think COVID may have exacerbated it, right? Because it did it did cause major disruptions to um, well people really like that part of the supply in areas that therefore impacted the you know the the supply of the parts. You know, so so all the way back to the human capital side of it, but um, we had similar issues. And you'll remember this, Russ, just just because of how close you were to you know PC building. But um, I want to say it was '90s, maybe it was 2000s. But do you remember RAM prices just like doubled overnight? And and that I was because slashing overnight. I don't remember them. Well, that happened overnight. too. It, it they got really expensive for a brief period in time. Um, unless I'm misremembering this, entirely possible. Um. But my understanding is that it was because of a specific issue, and it may—it was either a plant fire or an earthquake. And I know those are very different things. Um, in Taiwan, and uh, that, that was one of those drives. Uh, I think it, I, well, I remember being. It, I, I was thinking it was RAM. It could have been hard drives too. Uh, I could be mixing or crossing wires there, right? But um, it—it—that industry had similar issues at the time. I think it still does to some extent, where. Because Taiwan had a significant disruption and they were so critical to the global supply of the things, it just jacked everything up and it took like years for it to come back to normal. So so I can talk one of these issues. So the hard drive issue, which happened because of a tsunami in, in Taiwan around 2007 through 2009 timeframe, yeah, somewhere around there, that, that production issue lasted no longer than nine months. But I can tell you because I, I was building them. So I, I, I feel like this. So look, I'm not saying that this can't happen. I believe that COVID kicked it off and has prolonged it more so than in any other time in our history. I, yeah, I cannot I think. I, I cannot think for a moment that that if we weren't if if we were back to full production capacity, that we, we wouldn't, wouldn't have been up. able to catch up in some degree. We're still. We have estimates now. Of getting not getting back to full production on some of these things till 2023. So now, granted, right now a lot more things require these types of chips. But well, and, still, and I think that might be part of the problem. When you say back to full off. production, are you talking about full production of like the the final good, or are you talking about full production of the underlying chip that is short? I know the final good, which is which is going to be reliant on the lowest common denominator, which is going to be that chip. Right. But in and that was my was my point about how like the disruption and you could be right. I need to I need to watch something that uh, a neighbor actually sent me that was talking about this a little more. And I haven't finished it yet, but um, 
even if they get to full production of that underlying asset that feeds that chip production or the chip production, if that is in fact the thing that is having the most trouble, at full pace, they're not going to be able to fill the backfeed demand and the net new fast enough because the, the barriers to entry to produce more are significant. Um, and in my understanding, well, is that isn't been more isn't expressly for things COVID. to have backlog. Yeah, like, for fact, for fact. Like, yeah. It's been way longer that we have not been able to produce these things than in any other time in our history, the recent right. history where these things are the, the main yeah, aspect yeah. of what we're trying to do. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with that. I deal with these supply issues every day at work. So, and so many of them are related to, oh, factory shut down because of, you know, there was an outbreak here, such and such people got here. Like it, it happens constantly. Hey, um, and Brooks is real upset about it. <laughs> what up, Brooks? If I could take a second to correct something I said earlier or uh, clarify something I said earlier. Go for it. We were talking about kind of charging standard miseries. It's not as bad as they made it out to be. There's something called the J1772 connector that you find at your local uh, Whole Foods all the way to Town Hall where you see free super it's charging. They don't use the word supercharging. They just call it free charging. And that's basically, I don't know, 10, 20, maybe 30 miles of range while you're eating a Panera Bread or something. Not a big deal, but, you know, a way to top off in the middle of the trip or maybe help you make the rest of the journey home. But free, you know. So if you're in a supermarket or a mall for two or three hours, that, that could be significant. Um, those are all over the country, and those work on any car, including Tesla's. So Tesla's come with a little plastic adapter that lets you plug that right in. And that's really important for apartment dwellers, someone living overnight where an apartment landlord or the law needs to change to let the tenant pay for it. Put in a 240-volt outlet, essentially a dryer or range outlet, whatever you want to look at that as. So you have 240 volts. So you can actually do decent charging speeds. Now you can fully charge your electric car in something between four and eight hours, depending upon how you know big the battery is and how big a vehicle it is in your apartment. That's how you can own a, you know, a vehicle there. Cities are a whole other thing, like Brooklyn, and I visited there, and that, that's another tough nut to crack where almost everyone's street parking. There's very little of it. And Europe has worked on that by having pop-up chargers that are along the sidewalk. You have a little block of... Uh, metal that pops out of the sidewalk and there's your charging station and you put it away and people are not tripping over it. So I was going to ask you, do people have, are there like pop-up stations or people, things that people put next to their driveways that sort of extend the 240? Because I have a 240 in my driveway, but hmm. we have a three-car garage that can only fit one car because we drive monstrosities. So the, what I'm curious about is, is there a way that, that people are basically running external lines and then having them in some housing or something next to their driveway for people who, you know, live the, the driveway parking life. Oh, okay. So you wouldn't be in a garage even at your residence, right? So, yeah. Right. Can, uh, My truck will never be in our garage. Okay. So the guy who follows that whole industry super carefully, guy named Tom Malagny, I'll tweet him and I'll mention you and we'll ask him. But meanwhile, I see Neo Trojan and others. It does look like they're selling something similar in the U.S. The installs okay. I saw were pilot projects in Europe. But uh, it doesn't look like it does look like uh, I've got some promising word for you there. So, yeah, those I, I've challenges. always envisioned that this would happen. Like eventually, you know, every house you'll see just like this little, you know, I don't know, whatever, some green sort of box kind of on the side of the driveway, just like you would. You know, there's other things out there in your, you know, in your lawn. Like you, I have my there's power there. There's Internet. You see these little I imagine something like that just sitting on the side of a driveway that you can just kind of open up and pull it and plug it in and keep going. It seems like an obvious thing that someone, you know, that someone would want to take advantage of from a business perspective to go build and deliver for people. Yeah. And you remember I told you how 
we have different standards in Europe and US. There's another example where they get their Teslas there delivered in Europe from Berlin. They're building a factory there, but for now they're being exported from China to Berlin, to Germany. But anyhow, when you pick up your Tesla in Europe, it comes with charging cable sets where you're plugging both ends, one into the car, one into the public charger, which is just a receptacle. In the US, the chargers tend to have a long uh, 10 to 20 foot cable hanging off of it with a, a tether or a leash to try to rein it in. How's that for weird? So each country differs in what the car's delivered with and how you charge publicly in a city. Kind of messed Perfect. up. But it, I know. But at least they both <laughs> use the same connect. The, well, yeah, it's a mess. <laughs> but anyhow, um, <laughs> it, the, fu the future is bright when you think about it, that people can get up and not go to gas station, not touch anything. Your car's just ready to go. That's the part people miss. And as soon as Russ thought that through, right, that's pretty awesome. You don't have to stop and just have your car ready. And if you can make it all the way to your destination and back without stopping in Lubbock, even better. Uh, how many miles? Yeah, is Texas that? is just big. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, real so, big. Yeah, it is. Yep. So, well, and that was the other. That was the other thought I had. You know, Paul, you were talking about needing to go that far, and and I would agree. I don't. I don't see the demand for a sedan that goes 500 plus miles on a single charge. I, I think there's plenty of ways to address not needing to go that far that are, you know, uh, okay, right? Mm -hmm. My. My issue is then when we start getting into the truck side of things and you talk about towing, the total range of the vehicle is going to be impacted significantly by heavy loads. So if you're talking about dragging a camper and going through, you know, the, the Rocky Mountains, exactly. then range <laughs> is going to be really bloody important. Yes. And as the Rivian now starts to ship in the coming weeks, it'll be very interesting to see them do trailer testing through the Rockies. Yeah. And exactly. Yeah, that company time. markets themselves for the outdoors. So you are right. right. The, the, the no. performance impact is huge when you have a big uh, trailer. Uh, also, an inverter or call it a generator on the go, plugging yeah. in your 240 volts from, from the back of your Ford Lightning or your Cybertruck or your Rivian. Right. That's also that's also something at a work site, cranking away uh, using power all day or just a compressor air, for air tools. Sure. All of that uses juice. So I'm with you on that. That's that's why the $69,000 Cybertruck tri-motor with the big honking battery probably right. will be popular, but it could take a long time to get production ripped up. And Tesla's needs to be to bigger battery. Yeah. Let, let me ask you about battery. battery. Uh, I agree. Maybe 10,000 mile battery. I'm yeah. curious. Yeah. Um, there. That's right. Add zeros. You guys had a truck. Let's just say, for example, a 2013 F-150. Just an example. Totally random. Just an example. Yep. It's, mm -hmm. I, it's just, it seemed like a good year. Um, <laughs> they can go over 400 miles in a tank with a tank of gas, and you needed to drive somewhere that was 300 miles away. Would you stop and get gas on the way? No. If you no, what about you, Paul? <laughs> well, I haven't had I haven't had a gas car in three years, but uh, let's see. So I get back and I'm I have three I have quarter tank left when i arrive right uh yeah ideally when i stop and get gas i'd stop when it's convenient if i'm on a business trip and got to make it a meeting i go to that meeting and fill it on the way to the hotel at night right it all depends sorry my answer's weird but it depends no, but that's a good answer. I, I would probably unless i was stopping for some other reason i would not be getting gas in a in a yeah. truck that can make it that far absolutely not you, you yeah, see i would gas. have to have reason to not stop and get gas I would not drive my 400-plus-mile truck 300 miles knowing no, if I knew where I'm going and not stop and get it. So, my, so Lubbock is my example. It's 320 miles. My truck can go 420 miles. I stop and fill that eight-minute thing up halfway through when I have you know half a tank of gas-ish, somewhere in that range, 
because I know there's not another one on the way there. And I do not like in any way, shape or form worrying about anything. So I stop. Oh, I just don't worry about gas. So like I'll ride it down to the fumes after the the re- reserve, right? Like if no my truck, when, when, when my truck, even if it when my truck hits hundred miles, when my truck hits hundred miles, and I and I and I only right now for the last eighteen months drive between my house and my mom's house to take my kids there, <laughs> like, which by the way is ten minutes tops. When my truck gets hundred miles, I start to sweat. I start to get nervous. And, and I go, and go fill it up. I know, I know from repeated experience that my car will go 33 and a half miles after it says uh, zero miles to empty. Not yeah, more my, than my, my truck has away. never been lower than 40 miles to, to go. Never, not once. And, and when it was, I, I cared about nothing else. But right. getting to a gas station. See, I get so, better gas mileage when my tank is empty, so I try to ride that out. Well, the car's lighter. So, <laughs> Ford is trying hard to make their calculations on the on-screen indicator to include things like, are you with a trailer? So, are there software developers up to it? Will they pull it off in the first, you know, months or weeks or years of their release? I don't know, but at least they're trying, and that's the world you're looking forward to—to to reduce that chance of range anxiety. Wouldn't it be great if the car had an accurate you know, gas meter, which is how much electricity is leaving. No, that's no fun at all. To reduce, you know, that stress. So that is an important part of it. Uh, Tesla's. The thing about me is I have range anxiety on my Pixel phone, which can last like two days. Oh my gosh. And and that's not enough. Like it drives, like I constantly look at my battery and I'm like, why did it go from 93 to 92 in six hours? This phone is ridiculous. So, Ross, what you're saying is when you say you want um, a thousand miles of range on your F-150, ideally, what you're saying is you want a 20,000 pound truck. Yeah, 30,000 pound, maybe. I, I don't have to yeah. avoid certain bridges, but I don't I mean, want to have to stop and charge my car. Or the right. battery has to be that giant, right? Your bad. That's such a heavy part of the car, and that's why every mile. So Ford did not go that big, right? Their battery is not that huge. It's, it's right. pretty good, but but yeah. So these are all realities. So they're unfortunate, but mostly good. Uh, Still, I think almost anyone listening, if, you, if we freak you out about electricity, just test drive something electric at some point just to get a feel for it. Um, and then you'll probably realize, oh, that would be pretty cool to never have to go to a gas station, just charge up in the morning. And I think <laughs> 95% of people's drives, they don't think about, they don't yeah. drive that far, right? Yeah, even, so many people listening are just driving, you know, eight right. miles each way and, each day. This is not And even with the... Even with the burden of being in Texas and things being far away, and and like I was saying, my family interested in camper camping, something we just started trying to do and stuff like that. So I'm looking at this. My next vehicle will be a truck. Will it be electric or not? I don't know. That will almost certainly come up to tow rated range. But Mm. to date, 90% of the camping that we've done, whether that's tent camping predominantly or the trailer camping that we just started trying out um, by by renting because I do not have a vehicle that can pull a camper big enough for five people to actually extend the camping season, um, has been within about an hour and a half of where we live. Uh, well, with some exceptions, I guess the last one we went on was about three, three and a half hours, but round trip totally would have made it with a 500, uh, 500 mile ra- rated range, even towing something. Now, whether we could have gotten the whole, what is it, like 280 miles away from us for that camping trip, towing, uh, uh, you know, a, a, an 8,000 pound trailer. I don't know. That's, that's why I got to wait and see these things come out. But 
we want to be able to go to Big Bend. We want to be able to get up to Colorado. We want we want to be able to make trips like that. And I'm okay with you know on a trip that long, like getting to Denver, 19 hours or something crazy from from Texas. It's been a long time. That may have just been Greyhound numbers, but. Um, we're going to have to make a stop. You'd have to make a stop or two or three in a car, even on a trip yeah. that's that far away. But it does complicate things when you're, when you're basically going to be draining that battery. So I'm interested to say, okay, great. I go with a cyber truck. I can drag a 10,000 pound trailer. When I've got the 10,000 pound trailer, I get 250 miles. How much longer is that trip going to be? How often am I going to do that trip? And it doesn't matter. I don't know yet because I need to know what the, actual ranges not the rated stuff that they're passing out right so i'm um definitely waiting with bated breath to see uh just how good these these trucks are in uh you know real world especially with towing and then recognizing like you said 90 percent of my driving is still going to be well within the range of the the edge of that dallas to denver is about 12 hours just FYI. so, so it's 19 on a grand and and it has lifetime stories that you can't unsee in your brain. Just FYI. <laughs> it's Fair <really>, enough. <laughs> this, this is what's so cool talking to you guys. You're the like most challenging corner corner cases in Aaron Bueller, right? You're in Texas, giant state, huge drives. Every other state and every other almost everyone else in Texas looks so simple compared to you guys. And that, sure. that makes, well, that makes just it just solve I mean, Texas like, like, then. Or yeah, solve C D P and you've solved Apparently, all of the problems. I mean, we, you know, we also. I drive to drive to Destin every year. Drive to. Um, I, I try to go to Lubbock every weekend, but it doesn't happen. And then I try to go to, or then we have to go to Arkansas at least, at least once every other year, if not once a year. And so that's that's another three hundred miles. Um, but the the one to Destin, that one is basically two six or seven ish hour stint. So it's just obviously dramatically farther than yeah. any of these other places. Um, that one's done in two days, but that one <clears throat> definitely requires a, uh, well, it doesn't have to be done in two days, but ideally it's done in two days. And that one requires at least one, one stop, you know, depending on the vehicle you're in to charge for, or to charge, yeah, to charge your vehicles. Gas is the same as charging. Um, and, uh, that that would that would be interesting to see what the difference in time would be there. I'd imagine the difference in time maybe is relatively less the longer it is, obviously. So maybe that one would be okay. But yeah, the Destin trip would be an interesting case study because that one's a long one every year. So let me say, let, let me sum it up like this. So let's say someone's listening to this. They make one or two trips a year that are like 10-hour family road trip. They already stopped twice for lunch and dinner. So if those stops, instead of 20 minutes and a quick lunch, end up being 45 minutes at Ruby Tuesday while it's charging or something, or to go all the way from 10 all the way to 90 or something, a little longer, and they're listening to this, well, you also have a low center of gravity, much better crash resistance, higher odds of arriving alive than any other vehicle with these EVs, including <laughs> the Model 3 that I'm in. That's how I look at it, right? I'm driving 25,000 miles for work, a lot of it for work in 2019. What can I tell my wife would most likely get me through those 25,000 miles with the least cost per mile, way more efficient than my Honda Civic ever was on a per mile basis, and least cost of, least chance of death and avoiding accidents in the first place, never mind rollover and avoiding rollover. Well, those trucks are going to be the same way, much more resistant to rollover, much lower center of gravity. Um, it's good. This future is actually bright. As glum as we make it sound, is it really that big a deal if your 10-hour, once-a-year family trip becomes 
more like 11 hours because you went electric and then the rest of the year you're charging in your garage yeah is that that's, okay that's a win is that okay yeah i, I would i would argue that too yeah i think a lot of people exactly. would say yeah that's acceptable some won't exactly. right and that's that's fine yeah. you're gonna have holdouts and, and my guess is they're all gonna be in texas because everything's so bloody far away and it's gonna matter <laughs> to more people but um you, you no, bring I'm, up an I'm interesting point I, that i'm i'm wondering do people hate gas stations yeah um, they're, my, is my, that a they're thing the absolutely my wife just i didn't know why do you think i drive wife. it past empty yeah. I have, I don't even have a singular thought about a gas station one way or another. Like gas stations. Ask a woman how they feel about that late at night. I know that sounds a little weird. But I know that's a really good point. That's, that's someone traveling alone or doing a long road trip. It's not fair. We shouldn't have to think about that, but it's it's there. <laughs> so I don't know. It's tricky stuff. But yes, uh, my wife and I mean, I, wait. I mean, what if you have to sit? at a charging station for an hour late at night versus be there for five minutes. I Oh, that's a big deal. How's that? How's that, yeah. how's that different? Seems yeah, worse. Well, okay. No, we'll talk about it. Most of them are in populated areas. You can keep your car locked the whole time. That's not ideal because you're not getting to a bathroom, but I will say they do tend to be in a little more upscale neighborhoods or decent corners of well-lit parking lots or just giant rest stops along the mass pike. If you drive Florida to yeah. Maine, you're fine. You're right on the same rest stops that everyone else stopping at and going in to use the restroom. So the danger, I, I'd say, is no different there. It seems like you I'm have more choice the over opinion, that with a gas station. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm, I'm of the opinion that the gas station versus, you know, charging station is not going to be a, a huge deciding point. The, the only thing in that regard is how many times and how long do I need to stay? Because those will be measurably different, right? And that's where, Paul, you say if most of the time you're staying within a range where you can do the round trip and get back to your garage, park your car and charge it overnight. That, that matters. I avoiding gas stations. I would love that. That's a ton of time saved. And if that's 90% of my, my weeks of the year, then I am actually going to save more time on average, not on the trip. than if I have to spend an hour longer on that one 10 hour trip, because I have avoided how many local gas station runs, but I mean, two a week, one a week, whatever. It depends on the amount of driving, right? That's uh, that that's definitely how I would look at that equation personally. But I mean, I I don't particularly care to stop at gas stations. I find it a completely wasteful venture. Where, where do you get your Where do you get your Red Bulls? Where do I get my what? Red Bulls. Oh. <laughs> the internet. So where do you buy everything? Gas stations. No. No. Wrong. Amazon. Walmart. Where I got my 3080 Ti. Tiger Mart. At a gas station? That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, now it all makes sense. That's where that's where Buley should have bought his uh, his new computer because it's still not in production. Get on it. And you know what, guys? This has been an epically long episode of the Tech Breakfast Podcast, but it is now being brought to an end. So thank you everyone for joining us, Paul. Thanks a ton for bringing especially your EV knowledge, but also your opinions on some touchy topics at the beginning. Russ, I'm glad you could join us. I'm glad you brought the baby. Even though you didn't let him talk or give his opinion, you just implied that something made him unhappy once. Well, he was yelling that at is, me. Oh, well, he should have been yelling at us. I think everyone would have appreciated it. But thank you all for listening. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for subscribing. Please join the TVB community. We're going to blast out that TDOT link here after the show. And uh, let us know what you think. Cheers. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you on Monday. Later. Bye, Bye now.